Welcome to the Shoot the <laughs> Cast again. Let's go. <laughs> Shoot the Core Cast. Welcome to Shoot the Corecast, the official companion podcast to the RF Generation Shmup Club. This is the family-friendly shmup-themed podcast that gives you the choice between a spread shot and a laser, because we care. From RFGeneration.com, I am Metal Fro, known throughout the other parts of the interweb as the Game Boy Guru, and alongside me today is... Addicted. All right. RFGeneration.com is the site that we're affiliated with, and there's lots to do there. There's a huge database of uh, games that you can uh, create a collection on there to kind of track the games that you have. You can create wish lists. You can create a a sale or trade list. Uh, And so if you're a collector at all, you definitely need to go to RFGeneration.com and and, uh, check out the database because it's quite extensive. We also have, in addition to the Shmup Club, there's also a monthly playthrough where Single Banana and Grey Ghost 81 host um, a playthrough each month, and then they do a companion podcast as well, known as the RF Generation Playcast. And so make sure you check those out, and uh, they do a nice variety of games that they play um, spanning various genres. Uh, so it's not nearly as focused as what we do here. Yeah, it's sort of a game of the month club. Definitely. I like to <clears throat> shout out our participants for this month. We have always at Metal Fro, we have myself addicted, and we have the ever-present Gollum who continues to blow away everyone else's high scores. <laughs> yeah, a lot lower participation this month than uh, the previous three months, and uh, I think we'll kind of organically, as we talk about this game, maybe get into some of why that was. The game we're discussing today that we played during the month of September is called Warning Forever. And we're kind of going through a handful of firsts here with this game. Uh, it's a it's a Japanese-developed title, which is true of everything we've done so far, but it's not a commercial release. It's called uh, what's called a doujin. Uh, and a doujin is kind of a generic Japanese term that encompasses independent developers. And that can be everything from one guy coding in his bedroom to a small studio that makes games independently and then releases them either for free or sometimes in uh, kind of small commercial batches. So uh, those of you who are familiar with the shoot 'em up community or or shooting game history over the past 20 or 30 years, will probably be familiar with the developer Zun, who is uh, the creator of the Toho series. Um, he would be considered a, a doujin developer. And, and there are other other small doujin studios and independent single developers making these kinds of games and have been for quite a long time. Uh, and so this is from a developer called Hickware, and uh, that is 
my guess is that Hickware is a portmanteau of the of the person's name Hikoza, who made the game and software. Um, <clears throat> and so, anyway, he made this game way back in uh, 2003 was the initial release. And then the most recent build of the game came out in 2012. And his website is still up. It's free to download. Um, but he has stated on the website that he's not going to be updating this game anymore or making any more iterations of it. Um, there were there have been some other shoot-em-ups that he has released. Uh, a couple of games called Shooters Solitude 3 and 4. I think the first two games may have been just games that he developed. I don't see where it shows that they were actually released. The The third and fourth games are the ones that are actually on the site, though. Uh, another game called Rayhound, which uh, is similar in appearance to Warning Forever in that it uses kind of a, uh, a vector graphics-inspired sort of style. And uh, then also a game called Cyclops, and uh, the, the latest thing that looks like that uh, Hikoza has done is uh, an actual mobile op, uh, mobile app, I should say, that apparently is used to measure stuff with using airsoft guns. So kind of measuring the time between when you pull the trigger and when the, the airsoft bullet or whatever it is hits the target. And that's actually a paid app. Uh, so... Despite the fact that he's done, you know, free development over the years, this is actually something that hopefully he's making money on. Um, and so it'd be interesting to see if if he ever returns to uh, the shoot 'em up scene to develop anything new. Yeah, one of the things that I, I personally liked about this choice is it brought back a lot of memories of when I first played or first tried Geometry Wars. Now, that, that twin-stick shooter also came out in 2003, but as we'll get into in a little bit, Warning Forever, as a little bit of a variation, isn't quite a twin-stick shooter, but I could definitely see, and if you were to update this, where it could become a very good one. What did you, What are your initial thoughts of the game? Um, You know, the reason I picked this is because it's one of those interesting curios from the early to mid-2000s that... I remember downloading because I saw some information on it over at the Shmups forums, and I thought it looked interesting. I kind of dug the graphical style of it, and it just seemed like something that would be a nice diversion. And so I downloaded it years and years ago, probably three or four computers ago, and just played around with it. And I found that... Uh, I found that it was a fun game to play. I, I didn't feel like I was very good at it, but it was kind of an interesting, very much pick up and play, like a lot of shoot 'em ups tend to be. Uh, but even more so in the sense that it's not it's not a game that I think lends itself as well to trying to beat it like a traditional shooter with structured levels and a and a campaign, if you will. Whereas it's it's very much more a score attack kind of game because essentially this game is just one big boss rush. I totally agree on that with excuse me, with the way that 
<clears throat> things are going. And again, with the Geometry Wars vibe I get from this, you could be playing for five minutes, you could be playing for 30 minutes, you still feel like you get some enjoyment out of it. <clears throat> it's not something where you're going to need to sit and practice. It's something that you can play for a couple minutes and go, that was fun, move on. It's more, it's a lot more of an, a quick or early arcade aesthetic to it <clears throat> that I found enjoyable the more I played with it. I especially like the fact that the game responded to the way that you shoot it. We had, Initially, you have, which I can only assume was taken from Gradius, the pure core, or the pure heart. If anyone's familiar with Gradius at the beginning of stage one and of subs most subsequent stages, you'd be looking at the big core, and in sort of variation of weapons upon that. And it was nice to be able to have it shoot at me with different play styles, such as homing missiles or lasers or different bullet patterns that weren't quite in the bullet hell category, but it it's almost a, like a uh, STG or shooting game training. An endless tr an endless shooter. Yeah, those, familiar, those of you are for now familiar with stuff such as Bit Trip Runner, this is like you think of as Bit Trip Shooter. It, it, it knows what it is, and it does it very well. Yeah, that's a... That's a an astute observation, an interesting way to frame it. Yeah, I mean, it really is uh, very much a trainer. And I think I want to say that's how it was designed. Um, there's a lot more depth to this game than I think is readily apparent on the surface. Uh, and we'll get into that here as we go along. Um, but I guess just starting, you know, we should talk about kind of the basic game mechanics and how this all works. Uh, and so there are three buttons that you can use, uh, keys or buttons, depending on whether you play with a keyboard or a gamepad. And so you have a shoot button, and you only have a cannon. That's your only weapon in the game. There are no bombs or anything else like that. There's a button to slow your movement. So instead of the default fast speed, you can slow your movement down, similar to uh, a lot of bullet hell games where when you have a focused shot your ship slows so you can weave through bullet patterns and then you have a uh, another button that will activate or deactivate uh, a a shot field on uh, so when you first start the initial stage and you use the shoot button you're just shooting a, a bullet spread uh, but if you activate the shot field that bullet spread narrows and it goes right out in front of you, and it's just, it's like these two lines that kind of go out diagonally from your ship, and then the bullets will sort of stay within that field of, of vision, so to speak. But if you're not holding the fire button down, that field of, of vision or that shot field will move opposite to the way that your ship is oriented or the way that you're moving. And so you can swing that field around, or you can resize it, by moving into the direction that the field is facing to widen it or move away from the direction it's facing in order to narrow it. And so it gives you a lot of granular control over how and where you're firing and the, the width of kind of this field of bullets that you're shooting out. This is where I think that the t twin stick shooter would really come in handy. I would love to see the <clears throat> shot field map to the right analog stick and just be able to shoot whatever direction you want with the right analog stick and move with the left. 
Now, this came out right at the same year as Geometry Wars, so these ideas were just becoming into fruition, but I would love to see an updated version where this allowed for <coughs> having the right analog stick take place of the shot field. It would make aiming and make the game a, a lot... I think it would make it flow a lot better for the play. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think in some ways it would make it more approachable, but obviously this, you know, this game was designed with digital control in mind. And so I don't, I, I never played it with the analog stick, so I don't know 100% if you can or not, unless you're using a pad where the analog stick can can work uh, in tandem with the D-pad. But uh, I always played it with either the keyboard early on or with uh, the D-pad on the Logitech gamepad that I use with my PC now. Yeah, I would have to say that using the pad in this won't be preferable. I tr after watching several YouTube videos of people just really doing great with Ketsui and trying to emulate that with this with this game, I have a long way to go before I can even begin to approach that level of play on the keyboard. Right. Yeah, and you know, keyboard is something that I was using a decade ago or so when uh, kind of started to get into. Uh, arcade emulation and some of that sort of stuff um, going back to some of the early arcade games and that because keyboard was all I had but now that I've got access to a good gamepad and there are tons of options for either hooking up gamepads or arcade sticks of any and all measure um, there are definitely better options than using just a keyboard but one of the interesting things about this game is as I mentioned before it's a boss rush it's there's no scrolling it sort of looks like something is scrolling because there's this interesting effect where there's sort of a a black background with this sort of thin green grid that kind of moves and scrolls underneath the action to make it look like you're moving, um, but you're not. You're just kind of right there on the, on the screen. And so it's a single screen game and it's oriented like a vertical shoot 'em up and then you can basically move anywhere on the screen while you're in, uh, engaging in uh, each and every boss form. And one of the things that we're dealing with and you have to master in this is dealing with the shot field. Is the game's going to respond to you depending upon how you destroy the parts and what order you destroy the parts. There's a whole lot that it takes into account as it mutates the pure, pure core or the original design. <clears throat> the, it's one of those things that I started getting, the more I played I started getting better at, but it really produces and forces you to change up your game and the way that you approach stuff. <clears throat> and one of the things that I've had to learn as I'm trying to learn to become better STGs is making sure that I start rushing as I'm aggressive in my play style. I was taking it too defensively, and that's something that will definitely get you killed, especially with Don Maku games. <clears throat> this really, for me, helped me get better at staying aggressive and learning to quickly adapt to various situations and various enemies. Yeah. And, uh, and I think one of the reasons for that is because of the, all the different weapon types that the bosses can build upon with, uh, they, they use, uh, Vulcan cannons, which is kind of the de facto weapon of choice in the very first iteration of the boss. Uh, it has, Basically, you've got the core, the core segment, and then you've got these four corner segments 
and then each of those corner segments has a pair of Vulcan cannons on it. That is the initial form of the boss, and it's always that way. Based on how you uh, attack the boss and how you engage with it, it will add one of a number of elements in the next iteration and then just kind of keep building upon that as you go along. So in addition to the Vulcan cannons, there are also um, these big pink lasers that shoot out. There's a, a blue spread shot. It's just n referred to in the game as cannon. Uh, and it starts out as kind of a single blue a large bullet that comes out, and then as you progress, it gets into a larger and larger spread shot. Uh, there's these purple, smaller kind of scattershot bullets known as blast. Also, kind of looks like a shotgun blast of bright purple um, bullets. There are homing missiles, which get smarter and smarter as the as the game goes along. They will follow you more aggressively and seek you out more aggressively uh, the higher you go in terms of the stages. There are these needle lasers where you'll have a, a cannon that will normally be attached to an arm, and so that comes a little bit later uh, as you progress a few levels up, and the arm will kind of swing around and shoot these needle lasers out at you in rapid succession. And then uh, a variation on the Vulcan that starts to happen further in the game is where you'll have a body segment that will just kind of spray out a, say, I'll say a quarter circle pattern of Vulcan shots. And then also the, the core itself will do that when you destroy all the other pieces and you're just attacking the, the core piece. It'll also do this thing periodically where it'll do a, a full 360-degree spread of bullets, and it'll usually do them in batches of three, shooting out in more than eight directions. Uh, yeah, now, out of all those, I definitely had the most problem with the homing missiles. Those things, <clears throat> most of the stuff, like the, the Vulcan cannons was pretty easy once you got used to it. <clears throat> Pink lasers took some time to charge up so you know where they are going to hit. The purple or bullet scattershot or blast was a little bit more troublesome. It was easy to get rid of. But those homie missiles, they kept getting smarter and smarter. Those things were the hardest for me because those things came several times, just like with Ingratius, where they're just singeing the Vic Viper's nose. I know the ship in this is not named. But those came the closest every single time. Yeah, I, I would have to agree. Those I had the most trouble with as well, uh, especially once you start getting up past stage nine or ten and they start to get much more aggressive um they become a lot harder to deal with now when you were taking out the uh starting out with let's say that we you've completed stage one with the pure core and you start with another core is your general strategy to, at least in the ones that i followed to immediately go up as far as you can try and get as much as you can just straight up with a shot the Vulcan can, and then attack the sides and try and get rid of whatever you deem the proper priority? Yeah, when I started, my my strategy was to basically take out one side of the boss. And because I'm right-handed and because I kind of think in, in those terms, I would typically uh, go up and rush the boss and point blanket as much as I could to, uh, to as effectively as possible make use of that bullet spread uh, to kind of concentrate fire in uh, one area. And I would try to take out the sections and then grab the corner piece there 
and take out the bottom corner, the bottom right corner, and then I would move over to I would move over to the top right corner and start taking it out because then uh, what you're what you're left with is this core that is completely stripped of all its body segments and weaponry on one side and you can kind of then approach it as uh, you can be a little bit more measured with how you approach the rest of the boss because you can kind of activate that shot field and sort of move around as it swivels and kind of try to stay out of its line of fire and, you know, pelt it with bullets. And then if it's moving towards you again, let go of the fire button and move around so you can reposition and then pelt it some more just as a way to, uh, to kind of create a, a bit of a safe zone for myself, I guess you could say. No, that makes a lot of sense. I I tried it. I'm left-handed, so I usually took out the left side as I was doing it, making sure to <clears throat> hit as much as I could along the way. One of the things that you may have noticed that took me a little bit to get used to notice is when you're doing the angled shot or the scope shot, it's only two-thirds as powerful as doing the fo- straight-on shot or the straight-on Vulcan cannon. Yeah, I noticed that... Um, I'd say maybe about halfway through the month, uh, I started to, I started to change up my strategy just so I could see, you know, what, what the effects were. And when I started to go with just the straight ahead shot, I did notice that it was slightly more powerful than the other. I, you know, I don't know about two thirds, but I did notice that it was a little bit more powerful. And when I was trying to take out cannons and, and lasers and body segments and that, it did destroy them a little bit faster. That's exactly what I noticed as well on there. It's not something that is going to be that you absolutely have to need to do it, but it gives you a little bit more concentrated fire, which means since this game <clears throat> gives you 180 seconds when you start and each stage net that you complete gets you 30 seconds, you got to be as fast as you can. So some, sometimes you, you it definitely helps to just do a f- straight-on frontal attack. Now, as we're talking about with the one starting with the 180 seconds when you start the game, each time you die, 20 seconds is deducted from the timer, which means it's the game is again it's going to be forcing you to get through this as fast as you possibly can in order to move on to the next boss. I got to probably about <clears throat> I would say between stage 15 and stage 20 consistently. How far did you get? Uh, the furthest I was able to get was stage 17. 17. Now, was it, were you find difficulty because of the homing missiles after that, or do you, what was giving you trouble? At that point, once you, once you get to around level 12 or 13, it really starts to get difficult in terms of no matter which form or which iteration of the boss you are you are getting it's you start to just get a lot of spam so to speak you know we, you kind of mentioned before that this isn't necessarily a a bullet hell or a dan maku game but it really ramps up the amount of of firepower that you have to deal with and weave through and and I guess that brings up a, a concept that most shooting game players will be aware of, but we haven't really discussed on the podcast yet, uh, which is the hitbox of your ship. Now, in a in a traditional kind of classic shoot 'em up, 
um, generally speaking, the hitbox of your ship is the full size of the sprite. Uh, and so if a pixel of a bullet uh, comes into contact with a pixel of your ship, you get hit. And in traditional fashion with most classic shoot-em-ups, you die. We should have mentioned it on the Raiden episode, Raiden 5 episode, because it's a newer game and has a smaller hitbox. It's not just the size of your of your craft. But this game, in particular, uses a tiny hitbox kind of toward the center of the ship. And that is the portion of your ship that will take damage and cause your, your ship to explode. But in, in those later levels, when you kind of start to get up 12, 13, 14, 15, there's so much firepower being um, thrown at you and on screen at once that unless you really build up a, a significant skill, it, you're going to have some difficulty dodging through all of that. Yeah, that's one. I did definitely appreciate the smaller hitbox. <clears throat> Dealing with some, some of that stuff on there, it's something again that I, I helped me practice. One of the um, I was been listening to Sir from Studio Mudprints, and everybody's talking about how you want to be on a fast response monitor and you want to be on something small because you need to have the entire field of view in play at any given time. And you want to make sure that you're not looking at your ship. You want to be making sure to look at what the bullet patterns are there. It's almost like moving your ship through a maze that's constantly changing. So you have to keep constantly in charge or constantly aware of the play field and what's going on as you're moving through. Because if you start focusing on your ship, you're going to get hit by something and you're not going to realize what's going on. Yeah, and one of the things that that I noted early on when I was playing the game years ago and uh, kind of, you know, came back to mind as I was playing it for uh, for September is the the order in which you destroy things and how you kind of tackle the different body segments, especially when the boss starts to grow larger, does make a difference because if the boss decides to move in on you and move close you either need to have room to move around it so that you can attack it from another side or another angle, or you need to make sure that you've destroyed enough body segments if, that if it's going to kind of move toward you uh, wherever you are on the screen, that you're still going to have room to maneuver uh, so that you can either change the direction of your shot field or just not run into part of the, the boss. And it really is about finding an opening, exploiting, getting out of there, and then heading back in. It really does well at helping you train for what will be seen in the future for some of these Donmakus that we try such a... Or even with the, the Dodonpachi series, it's, you're going to need these, all of your skills in order to beat that one. Yeah. So one thing that we uh, kind of touched on earlier that that I'd like to go into more detail here is just kind of how these these boss forms evolve. Um, because as I said, the, the game is a boss rush, so there are no popcorn enemies or anything like that that you have to deal with. It's literally just you start with this this uh, pure heart core boss, and it just keeps adding stuff to it as each new iteration comes along. And so there's a few things to note: is that the boss evolves based on how you attack, uh, where you attack, where you attack from and what 
portions of it you destroy, when, and all of that. The top and the bottom of the ship will evolve independent of one another. And so, depending on how you're attacking the bottom of the ship, it may evolve differently than how you're attacking the top of the ship, if, if your strategy is different for that than it is for the bottom. And so, the, the, the three basic evolution tracks are wide, which um, happens when you're taking out the corners from kind of the side. Uh, and so if you move your ship off to the ship off to the side, like I mentioned before, I was kind of doing, and you're attacking it from the side at an angle, then the boss will take on a wide form where either the top or the bottom, whichever you're attacking from the side, starts to expand outward uh, to the left or right, depending on which side we're talking about. Um, the attack evolution happens when you're destroying the corners. The, the four corner pieces in the ship, like the, the core pieces that attach right to the, the body, uh, when you attack those from the top or bottom, so kind of directly underneath or directly over top. And then the armor form, that occurs when you go directly for those corner pieces. So instead of picking off cannons and turrets and, and lasers and body segments, outward in, if you go directly for those four corner segments that are directly attached to the, the core boss, then that's going to trigger the armor response from the boss so that those body segments then, as you move along, start to uh, armor themselves to make it harder for you to actually achieve that. Uh, and so you find in when you have armor going on that a lot of times those body segments will go from that sort of green vector graphic look to they'll be filled with this yellow color and will repel your firepower. And so you have to adjust your strategy uh, when that happens to either kind of move your ship in close and really point blank that corner piece if you can get in close enough, or you have to move out and you know change your strategy to more of a side or or a top attack. Yeah, when I was trying to shoot the core, there would be several times where one of the four pieces would still be there, but the rest of the core was vulnerable, or at least I thought so, and I tried shooting it and nothing happened. That was a little bit frustrating. Yeah. Did you run into that as well? Yeah. I found that that as I was going along, if I got the, especially if I got the armor portion, what I found was it became much more difficult to get in and actually get to that corner segment. Uh, and you waste a lot more time doing that because then it, it forces you to adjust your strategy to kind of dig in from another angle and whittle down all those cannons and body segments and everything um, to get to where you can take out that piece. Um, so it, you really burn a lot of clock time in those scenarios. Yeah, you can't really just snipe your way in there and destroy the core. You really have to whittle everything down, which, as you mentioned, it really just nails down the clock. When you start with 180, it rapidly dwindles, especially when you're reaching level 12 or 13. Yeah, yeah, definitely. 
So I played the original game mode, but there are actually th- three more game modes to this, and you had a chance to try those out. Do you care to elaborate? Uh, sure. Uh, there's the three-ship mode, which uh, has no time limit, unlike the primary game mode. Uh, it does count the time, but it counts upward instead of down, and so it's kind of nice for tracking uh, how much time it takes to kind of uh, beat each boss iteration. So it almost works as a practice mode, really, for the the main game. And you start with three lives, and then for every hundred body segments you destroy, or pieces of the boss form, you can earn an extra life. And so if you get really skilled at the game, actually, this mode, I think, is where you can score the highest. Because there's no timeline... You can really, uh, you can really take your time and, you know, try to build up your score as quickly as possible. Um, there's the five minutes mode, which puts 300 seconds on the clock. You get unlimited lives, and there's no penalty for your ship destroying. Um, but then there's also no way to earn extra time by beating a level. It's literally 300 seconds five minutes of playtime, and you get as far as you can get and maximize your score within that time. That sounds a lot like a caravan mode. It Kind of, yeah. And I think it, there was probably a bit of inspiration from that. Uh, and then there's Sudden Death, where there's no time limit, but you only get one life. And so, literally, as soon as you die, whether that's from the very first Vulcan bla- Blast or, you know, seven, eight, ten levels in, whenever you die is when you're done and it's game over. Each game mode has its own scoreboard. That's a pretty cool feature. That's something I didn't expect on there. Now, that's, now one of the things that would probably be neat is if this game, let's say, were to be made, again, comparing this to Geometry Wars, where Xbox Live Arcade title, having all these different scoreboards and different achievements tied to this, I could really see this taking off as a indie title on PSN or on XPLA. Maybe even on the Switch with its online features. It's really amazing how well this works now, as much as it worked in 2003. Sure. It's funny that you say that because there's actually a quasi-remake of this game called Infinity Danger. That sounds like one of those mobile clones that you see on Sea of Everything where they change the name just a little bit, but they take the same assets. Right. Yeah, this is actually a whole new game, and it's more fleshed out in the sense of the graphics don't really replicate that, that style so much. It's more of traditional terrain and things that your that your um, ship is hovering over, and the bosses look more like uh, metal and and steel and and that kind of a thing. But it's a it's an interesting game. You can download the demo and then pay for the game, uh, and but then they allow you to download the soundtrack for free. Uh, it's from a company called Milkstone Studios. And so uh, if anyone has played this game and wants to try something else that maybe looks a little bit uh, newer and actually has music, which we'll get to here in a bit, um, Infinity Danger is uh, kind of a, a very heavily inspired by Warning Forever. It's always good to have more STGs. So speaking of the graphics and the look of this game, 
I really like the combination of the vector and the raster graphics. There, it really reminded me of something. Again, you could look at Geometry Wars, and it was something very similar aesthetically. But a lot of it gave me a vibe of what I see with the original 1980s Atari Star Wars. You just have that, that very well-defined, that very sharp look. And it does a great job of, sh of keeping you just focused on the action without trying to be over overly done with the wow factor. It's not... It doesn't need great graphics in order to prove it's a good game. Right. Yeah, th this is one of those things that uh, I kind of enjoyed the look because uh, I'm old enough to have had a lot of experience with arcade games back in the day. But unfortunately, I didn't have much exposure to a lot of the vector graphics games. I had a very brief opportunity to play a Vectrex in uh, 85 when my next-door neighbor had one, and I, I got a chance to play it. And then a few years later, uh, I was at a, a restaurant where they had a Space Duel cabinet, and I got a chance to play that. Otherwise, my only uh, real exposure to vector graphics games has been either ports that capture that look, like Star Wars Arcade, um, since that's uh, an unlockable on... Uh, what is it? Rogue. Rogue Squadron 3, I think. Yes. Um, Rebel Strike. Yep. Oh, or, um, or you know, ports of asteroids that attempt to recreate that vector look and, and that sort of thing. And Tempest. Don't forget about Tempest, everybody's favorite. Right. Um, but I've never, I've never played any of the other original uh, vector graphics games. And so I really enjoyed Space Duel when I played it. And I really appreciated when I first saw this game. It immediately took me back to that uh, that time when I was there at the sandwich shop or pizza place or whatever it was, and played that game. And um, so I really I really appreciate that that look. But I but I also appreciate that it's not it's not just aping that vector graphic style. It's adding in new elements and and bitmap typographic elements and the the cool laser effect and the the interesting uh kind of muzzle flash effect when you're firing your cannon and um you know the the thrusters and that from the enemy ship and and things like that and so it's a nice combination a nice contrast between those things yeah i thought they flowed well too especially as you mentioned the afterburners on the ship when it would decide to immediately turn and head towards you though that was a really nice effect and the homing missiles were done very well as well the lasers had a very nice sharp pink it would go from sort of dull pink to very vibrant and bright pink everything stood out and allowed you to quickly identify where the bullets are a lot of the times it can get a little bit confusing i think we had mentioned within riding five especially on the desert level it was sometimes a little bit hard to see where the bullets were because it sort of blended into the background and everything was scrolling by extremely fast. Yeah, and I think the only time when you start to kind of get, uh, where stuff kind of starts to get lost in that is when when you start to have overlapping enemy fire. Uh, for example, when you've got large spreads of cannon and multiple shots of the purple scattershot or the blast and then also Vulcan on top of that, uh, kind of coming at you from multiple angles. Sometimes you, that stuff can get lost in the in the milieu. But really, overall, I, 
I, I feel like the graphics are uh, are one of the game's strong points, just because of how how cool everything looks and and how uh, well defined everything is. And well, now with the graphics being such a standout and sort of speaking from themselves, there it was a little bit eerie the lack of music. Yeah, uh, it's an that's an interesting thing, and and I don't know if that's because it's a Dojin game, and the and the developer either didn't know how to do music or just decided not to do music because like like you've stated before you know the fact that this is kind of a kind of a shooting game trainer of sorts um you know maybe there was no there was no need for music or he didn't feel and feel the need for music um one thing that i noted that i thought was interesting is that in the options menu there's actually a an option to change the background uh music volume or it says bgm volume uh and so i don't know if his plan was eventually to integrate music or to allow you to integrate your own um but it's curious that that option's there but there's no actual music to to utilize that option with it almost makes you wonder if at one point he expected to do somebody to do custom soundtracks for you to allow to put your own music in there, or if it was just something that, as you mentioned, something that he wanted to put in, but either didn't have the time, nor did maybe have the resources to do. Right. Um, yeah, and otherwise, the sound design for the game is very minimal. I think it's effective for what it is, but again, lending credence to the idea of the fact that this might be kind of an, a shooting game trainer of sorts... Firing your cannon is basically no sound, and but then there's sound for when the enemy fires its different rounds. You know, there's a there's kind of a sizzling sound when the laser fires up and does its thing. There's a kind of a, a rifle blast sound almost for when you it shoots out the cannon or the blast type weapons. There's a there's a small kind of ping, 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 when it shoots out the Vulcan, you know, you get the the, the sound with the homing missiles where you kind of get that uh, uh, rocket booster sound, if you will. And so you get all of that. And then you also get explosions. And the thing, one of the things I like about the game is the explosions because they're really good um, for a small, independently developed game like this, uh, especially... Uh, like my PC where I've been playing this, I have a, a setup that has two speakers and then a subwoofer on the floor. And it's fun to crank that up. And when you destroy a large segment of the boss that takes out multiple body pieces and cannons and things, you get a really booming explosion. Uh, especially if you're taking out a corner segment and the boss kind of gets a knockback effect. Yeah, the the as far as I'm concerned, the sound effects were very well done and appropriate. It's not something that you all of a sudden you hit it and all of a sudden you get like the Windows ding sound or something from there. It, it's it doesn't feel like it came from my first sound waves or right. like a, like a, like the art was not stolen from clip art. It doesn't have that any feel. It feels a lot more polished than that. It just feels as as a whole the sound was. Not quite up to par with the way that the graphics impressed. 
Right. Yeah. The other element, of course, is the uh, the alert siren or warning siren that uh, you hear at the beginning of each stage, and uh, kind of gives you a little bit of that a uh, little bit of that Darius feel to it in that sense. Yeah, that was very well done, and I definitely enjoyed that. That would be reminded me a little bit in some ways of the. I know you mentioned Darius, but in some ways it reminded me of Gradius. I half expected an announcer to come on and say, shoot the core. <laughs> exactly. Now, one of the things that I loved the most about this is, in regards to sound time, you mentioned the explosions. I have to go back and say that that was great and really gave a, a sense of, it's almost like little senses of accomplishment whenever you hear those. Like, all right, I took off this piece, so only a little bit more to go. Yeah, there, there, there really is a a feeling of feedback and I'm going to keep going back to this because I think you're on the money is that that's another element that I think again uh, shows that this could very well have been designed to be uh, an STG trainer in the sense that the really satisfying explosions and the, the sound of the ability to hear the sound of enemies fire and things like that all of that stuff can be can be indicators or triggers for you to know when stuff is coming or that you've accomplished something. Uh, and so it really, yeah, that when you trigger big explosions like that, it's, it's very satisfying. I mean, overall, I re- this is one of those titles that I could have been like, okay, well, I, at first I thought maybe you picked this because it was free. And like, okay, anybody could play this. But there's a lot more to this, more that you dig underneath. It's not something that's going to be eating up tons of your time, but it's going to be one of those things where you can sit down and play it for a little and go, hey, that's a lot of fun. And even people who aren't into STGs should be able to have fun with this. It's one I hear all the time, how do I get people into STGs? Where do I get people started? You start with the simple stuff that people can understand, and you, you work your way up with here. And I think this is a great place to start. Yeah, and and it's interesting that you say that because one of the problems that I had with this game is when I was focusing on this for September, I was trying to put a bunch of time into it. So I would sit down and play it for an hour or an hour and a half at a time. And I found myself getting frustrated very quickly, especially once I started to get good at it, uh, which sounds counterintuitive, but for each game mode... The scoreboard is eight scores. That's it. And so if you get to a point where you're doing well enough at the game to get on the scoreboard, once you've amassed a top eight that is difficult for you to replicate or or beat, then you're playing that same game mode over and over and over again to try and beat your own score. And if you're not making any progress or the way that you're approaching it doesn't lend itself to as good as scores because the boss formation is harder to destroy quickly or, or, you know, you take a stray bullet or laser, what have you, it it can become frustrating somewhat quickly because you're, you're playing the game and you're spending, uh, you know, a good amount of time with it every time you play through, but you're not seeing the fruits of that labor, so to speak, because your opportunity to score points 
unlike a traditional shooting game where you can destroy popcorn enemies and mid-bosses and things like that and, and you know, have other elements like collecting medals or uh, bonuses for various different things that you do within the stage, since the, the g- this core game is so simplified, you know, it can be difficult to get on the scoreboard multiple times unless you really progress quickly and continue to progress as you go along. I hit my peak halfway through the month and was never able to get even close to that again. And so I, I became a little bit frustrated with it um, as we went along. I still had fun, but I will say that I definitely plateaued at some point and didn't feel as much of a pull to go back to it later. At least not as in playing as, as seriously, I guess, other than maybe checking out the other modes. Yeah, I could definitely see where a lot of the nuances that you would see in stuff such as Gradius, DOJ, or some of the other more nuanced games is going to give you an opportunity for a lot of repetition play and understanding, okay, there's where I did this, I shouldn't do this, I need to do this. Where this game is very modular and adapted to this. So unless you can really take the time to figure out the patterns, you're going to hit a wall pretty fast, which is why I prefer to play it in little short segments, almost like a a quick arcade game or a time waster in order to just get better at something and then move on to something else. Almost like a a gateway shooter. Yeah, I I probably would have been less frustrated with it if I had gone and, and played it one or two sessions a night and then put it away to go do something else or play something else um, just as a, a way to kind of keep keep fresh with the game and, and just keep kind of chipping away at it rather than trying to sit down and, and hammer it all out in one sitting. Yeah, it's definitely something that it's going to make you uh, quickly frustrated if you try and spend eight hours with it. Uh, definitely. Uh, so, just a uh, an odd question here, I guess I'll ask, is since the game had no music, did you listen to any other music or anything else while you were playing it, or just the game's own sound? I listened mostly to the game's own sound. I wanted to make sure that I listened to it and get an idea of what the artistic intent was, or as close to as possible uh, of the author. Now, a couple of times it was interrupted by meows from my cat, <laughs> adding <laughs> to a little of the background noise there. But <clears throat> I, I try and keep with the soundtrack that they have. So, because a lot of times I'll find with STG games where I'll be like, okay, that's a pretty neat. And then I'll go back and listen to it. And it really becomes ingrained in my memory. One of those that I started out sort of like, okay, that's okay. And just sort of flew through it was Gallantry from the intro to Raiden. And the more I listen to that, the more I get hooked on it. And the other t- track has to be Metal Squad. The, I, at first, I was like, okay, I just paid no attention. But as soon as I heard a uh, take on that or arrangement of that, that's one of my top 10 uh, STG soundtracks or songs in an STG game. Oh, now, yeah. That is iconic. And just anytime you fire it up, most people will, will stop and listen. Oh yeah. Well, and and anyone who knows anything about me and my gaming knows that that uh, Thunder Force Four is my favorite shooter, and that that is one of my favorite game soundtracks. Um, for me, I I actually listened to a whole bunch of different stuff while I was playing the game. Um, I I was listening to various types of music. Um, I've got the 
Streets of Rage 3 uh, vinyl album that Data Discs put out, and I was spinning that one afternoon while I was playing over the weekend. Um, I've been listening to, kind of trying to catch up on my podcast backlog, so I've been listening to podcasts some while I've been playing. And then uh, here, uh, I guess it's been about a month now since we've been actively playing it. I was listening to the college football game on the radio while I was playing, and so it was a good way to kind of pass the time while that was while that was happening. And that was actually, I think, when I got my highest score, which which I thought was funny. But yeah, you know, I the Streets of Rage three soundtrack worked really well because it was such a it's such a hyperactive kind of EDM uh, techno music kind of a thing. But I think any sort of energy music would work really well for that. You know, to kind of pump you up and just get you kind of in that zone. Yeah, I definitely would say that it, if I were to choose on there, it would definitely be Metal Squad or something from uh, Gradius Arrange on there or Gallantry, maybe something from Gradius 3 on there. There's, and I definitely like some of the tracks that are in Stormwind. Definitely something that I'd be looking forward to. Is there any tracks that you stand out to you that you put in there? Um, no, like I said, probably Streets of Rage 3, when I was just spinning that, uh, that record, uh, was the one that I thought probably fit the best. Um, but, uh, uh, Gollum from the forum, he was saying, let me look and see what he said here. Iron Maiden? No. That's one of the things that I could think would definitely fit well is some Dio. Dio would fit really well with this. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, he said uh, the Streets of Rage remake OST is the best musical accompaniment I can think of at the moment. <laughs> so uh, we were kind of on the same page there with some Streets of Rage action. Well, and Streets of Rage 3 is such an interesting soundtrack. It's very different than Streets of Rage 1 and 2. It, very departure. And it's one of the things that you either in the love it or hate it camp. Right. Well, I, th- I think that's a lot of it's because it's proced- part of it's procedurally generated. And so it's not, it doesn't flow as well as the other two in terms of sheer melody, but it, there's so much energy to it that I think it, it kind of has its own vibe. It's definitely an interesting piece. I agree. Speaking of procedurally generated, uh, let's get into uh, some stuff here from the forum. Since Gollum was the only uh, participant this, uh, this time around, other than ourselves, he had some uh, some cool stuff to say here. I was kind of mentioning that I thought the that the game kind of seemed pretty random in terms of how uh, the boss segments went together, and he said that he thought it was more procedurally generated, and I think he's right based on the strategy wiki that that uh, you linked to and that I was kind of looking at that that obviously depending on how you how and where you attack the boss and how you approach it it changes the the way that the boss um formations kind of come out and so that was um that that's a lot of it um and that was one of the things i thought was uh was pretty astute that he said he also noted that uh the the shot field that you um have with the ship is quite similar to the red options in image fight where they rotate opposite your movement 
Um, but that um, in Image Fight, they move pretty quickly, whereas in Warning Forever, it moves much more slowly, but that gives you the opportunity to position it much more granularly so that you can really fine-tune where your, where your shots are going. And so he noted that pretty early on. Another thing that we were trying to figure out during the course of the month is there are some stats that show up after each uh, encounter. Um, of course, it records how much time you took, uh, any deaths that you took, uh, kind of a base score. And then there are a couple of multipliers. There's the rapid destroy multiplier and the chain destroy multiplier. And he and I were kind of going back and forth trying to figure out how those are calculated. And he, he said, he posted here, he did a run of stage one where he went out of his way to take out the, the cannons first before the corners. And he got a chain destroy of three, which uh, chain destroy times three equals 3,000. Well, obviously, your chain destroy is 1,000 points per uh, per chain. Then he did a run where he went directly for the corner pieces and got uh, a chain destroy of 10, which resulted in 22,000 points. So it noted a, a chain of 2,200 points or a score of 2,200 points per chain. And so uh, we weren't quite sure how it calculated that, whether you get more points for destroying, for chaining together multiple body segments or multiple other components. Uh, so like if, if you get a, a boss iteration that has a large kind of arm segment or whatever, if you destroy at what I'll just call the elbow, kind of halfway up that that arm, and then it takes out everything from that point out to the very end, do you get a higher chain bonus for destroying that whole thing? That was something that I never quite put my finger on, is is how that all calculated. I also couldn't figure out how to, how to trigger the rapid destroy. So it was one of those things with the scoring that I never quite got a handle on. Yeah, my goal in that was always to try and rapid destroy, get it as fast as possible, because you got to keep moving on. Yeah. What was your highest score? Oh, geez, I would have to look at it, but it, it definitely wasn't in the millions on there. It's one of those things that I'd have to go back and look, but it, I didn't consider it very high. I considered it about as, as far as the stages I could get. I think the highest stage I got was level 19. Mm, wow, 19, that's impressive. Because there are only 25 stages in the game, uh, no matter what, what boss evolution path you go down, uh, it caps at 25. Most of the time I did 16, though. Oh, gotcha. Looks like Gollum reached stage 15 and had a high score of 14,272,600 points. And uh, very impressive, very impressive, and that was with five deaths. Uh, and so that was a very impressive run, I think. I, like I said, I peaked early, early in the month. And so I reached stage 16 on my highest score. And I got 17,228,100 points with eight deaths. And that was my, my best run in the, the main mode where you start with the 180 seconds. And so, uh, that that was my best uh, my best run, but wow, that was uh, that was brutal. I, I think I might have reached stage seventeen one other time, but because I wasn't scoring very well, I didn't 
I didn't get on the board, but I, I mm. consistently reached 14 or 15 with most runs. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things where there's a option for getting making it a lot easier on yourself, but it's definitely one of those things that I found really hard to do, which was to, to make sure to just sort of scrape the sides when you initially start with the pure heart. And then to, that way it would grow in such a way that would make things a little bit easier in order to you, allow you to basically farm for points. But it, it's, for, at least for me, it was really hard to do. I end up, for the most part, just trying to do, get to the core as soon as possible. Yeah. And, and really, even if you don't die multiple times before you get up to you know, 12, 13, 14... Like I said, you it, you start to get so much spam on the screen, so many bullets, so much Vulcan, so much cannon, so much blast, all of that, to where it gets difficult. And even with the ship's tiny hitbox, you just get kind of boxed in, and it's difficult to weave through all of that stuff um, successfully. Yeah, I, I we're liking like the once you start at stage thirteen and going on, especially by the time you reach stage sixteen. Like in back to our type with stage four, where you're going through the battleship and in sort of a stumbling block, you really have to start to bunker down and start learning the game's mechanics in order to proceed. Yeah. So, uh, any final thoughts on the game? You know, it was this is one of those ones that surprised me. At first, I thought I was like, okay, I'm going to play this for a little bit, and that's going to be that. But it's definitely one of those ones like Geometry Wars where I could go back to and play for a little bit. But if I were to try, as you have mentioned, long play sessions, it's one of those things that's just going to lead to frustration. It's almost one of those things is if you're going to be doing playing this type of game for long play sessions, it's almost that you would need to have local co-op or, or, or local competition. Is it, this, this is an arcade game through and through. And arcade games aren't fun unless you can actually compete against people and post high scores. It'd be a lot of fun to do this at a STG convention and to put this game out here and have it broken into teams and people try and get see who can get the highest score. Well said. Yeah, uh, yeah, I would t- I would tend to agree with all of that. I I think if I, I I know I'll go back to this game at some point, but I think it will have to be in little measured short burst sessions like that and not sitting down with it for an hour or an hour and a half trying to trying to ram away and, and get a higher score and and uh, that that's just a, a recipe for madness i think sometimes a little madness is good <laughs> speaking of madness in october we're going to be playing 1942 and you can come and join on the madness of that micronics port on the nintendo entertainment system you can try it out on the game boy color and if you're really crazy, you can try it out on the C64. Or you can try your hand at one of the many Capcom collections they released for the PlayStation 1 and the PlayStation 2. I'm going to be giving a shot on the C- sorry, not the CPS 1 collection. It's actually the Capcom Classics Volume 1, which was released for the PlayStation Saturn, the arcade port, and trying it on the Micronics port or the NES port. Which versions are you going to try? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I've actually been working on um, the Sega Saturn uh, Capcom Generations Volume One port, which is 
essentially arcade perfect since it was you know an early to mid 80s arcade game uh, i've also been toying around with the nes version and um i've got the capcom classics collection on the original xbox which i messed around with a little bit and uh, on psp where you can actually rotate the the screen it'll rotate the screen vertically to take advantage of the psp's uh, wider screen and so you can play it in a kind of a tate mode if you will uh, vertically oriented and I've done that before so uh, I'll probably give that a whirl before the month is out and uh, just kind of compare versions you know the one thing I've noticed with 1942 and the one thing I love about is it has a gravitational pull everyone seems to have a story about playing this game I was just listening to the player one podcast and Greg Stewart, who a lot of our audience may be familiar with, former EGM uh, contributor and editor, talked about his. It was the only game that his father would play, and he actually set up Mame on a Raspberry Pi so his father could play it for him. It it, it pulls in people who would normally wouldn't play games. It's a it's another one of these gateways. It's it's de- and it's definitely has a bit of an odd story that everyone thinks of. Well, it's like why is a Japanese developer developing a game where you're American who shoots down Japanese planes during World War II. It's got a little bit of an interesting story going for it there. Yeah, we'll definitely have to get into that uh, in the next episode as we kind of talk through uh, 1942. Uh, looking forward to November, we're going to be playing Steel Empire. And this is another one where there are multiple versions. Uh, there's, of course, the original Sega Genesis version. There's a release that came later on the Game Boy Advance that got iterated again, and there was a digital-only release on the 3DS, and the game has recently been uh, released again on Steam with kind of an updated version that combines the uh, 16-bit pixel art aesthetic of the Sega Genesis and uh, other versions with uh, retooled and updated explosions and things like that and some new graphical effects and things that have been added. So I'll be very curious to see that. I, I've had the the Genesis version complete in box for a number of years and uh, going to see if I can track down the Game Boy Advance port, but I, uh, I'm very curious to, to check out the Steam version. Yeah, I'm excited to play this game as well. It's, if I remember correctly, it's done by Hot B who are one of my favorite developers for the Famicom when they released Over Horizon. That game is great, and I can't wait to see what they do on the Genesis. Definitely. And also, uh, make sure you check out, uh, as we said at the top of the show, make sure you check out the forums on rfgeneration.com to see what the Playcast is doing. Uh, For October, we're playing through Monster Party for the NES. That is our kind of Halloween theme that we're going with. And then during November, uh, we're going to be going through Bioshock. So any of you first-person shooter fans out there who like your shooting games uh, in a first-person persuasion, not just a uh, 2D scrolling type like we talk about here, uh, make sure you check out Bioshock as well. And of course, the RF Generation Playcast podcast that they do uh, uh, in conjunction with that. Would you kindly please check out rfgeneration.com? Yes. Also, uh, I've mentioned before that we are on iTunes and uh, or Apple Podcasts, I guess it's called now, and Google Play, but we are also now on Stitcher. So we are available on all three of those services, 
And uh, those are all great ways to listen to the podcast in addition to going to rfgeneration.com and listening to it directly from there. And uh, if you're not too busy, we would definitely appreciate uh, a review on any of those platforms. Would be great. Thank you. So any final, uh, any final thoughts or any final shout-outs, plugs, anything else that, uh, that you want to mention? Yeah, I would like to shout-out to Studio Mudprints for definitely getting me excited and interested in upcoming SCG games. I'm looking forward to the release of Ketsui Death Tiny. It's coming on the P4 from, I'm sorry, the PlayStation 4 from M2. And the other one I'm looking forward to and I've learned a lot from is the Electric Underground. There's a lot about talks about scoring, what's upcoming in shooters, as well as get-togethers and what the scene is like internationally. It's a well-done research, and they just happen to have a certain metal fro on there in one of the episodes. <laughs> yeah, I was a guest for uh, uh, episode five of his podcast, and so uh, hoping to uh, do some kind of collaboration with Mark from the Electric Underground and also Sarah from Studio Mudprints, and we definitely have to give a an extended shout out to to Studio Mudprints because uh, they designed the logo for Shoot the Core Cast, which is wonderful, and uh, I think it's great. Uh, I would like to, um, I guess, say you know if you wanna if you wanna know what's going on with the podcast or get in touch with us, of course rfgeneration.com. I'm Metalfro on the site, and of course Addicted is on the site. You can go there and chat with us and and check out the community playthrough forum where we post the information about the podcast episodes and also the games that we're playing through the month. You can message us. You can find me on Twitter, uh, either at MetalFro or at GameboyGuru. We also have an official podcast Twitter account, which is at ShootCoreCast. Uh, and so I post different things on there from time to time. And uh, we'll be putting out updates in terms of new episodes and things like that. And again, make sure you uh, make sure you check us out on on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, on Stitcher, and we would definitely love to uh, hear some feedback and and let us know how we're doing. Thank you. That's all we have for you this uh, episode. And as I said, and we said, make sure you check us out during October for 1942 and November for Steel Empire. Fourfgeneration.com. I'm Metal Fro. Sorry, and I'm addicted. And thank you so much for listening. <laughs>